0: Father this evening we come uh, we desire Lord God that you would continue to meet the needs of those who who we know are hurting and maybe some of us here tonight Lord God have come bearing a tremendous load of pain in in in, in their bodies and and uh, Lord we we realize that your word is is true and that Lord you are the great physician, you are the one who is all powerful and all uh, uh, and able to to heal and to care and, and bind the, the the wounds of of the brokenhearted. And as we learn in your word tonight, Lord, this is your heart. This is what you care for in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. And so, Father, we pray that as we come to your word tonight, our eyes will be open. But our hearts, Lord, will be filled with faith and with trust in you, and not in anything or anyone else, but completely and totally in you. And we ask, O oh God, these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Open our eyes, fill us with your spirit, let us know and understand your word tonight. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we begin our, our study tonight, I want to mention that uh, uh, the Impact College and Career Ministry will be meeting on Friday. No, will not be meeting. So that's what they're supposed to say. Will not be meeting this Friday. Because, well, because we have a, a Friday service here at 6 o'clock. That's why it was kind of shocking to me to see what I had up here. So we'll not be meeting tonight, or Friday, which is two days from now, but the following week. Thank you, Fred. I'm glad you're here to point me in the right direction. So <laughs> okay, so uh, there won't be a college career. We'll there Friday. Come here at 6 o'clock. So we're having our Good Friday service. Okay, turn to Isaiah chapter 30, please. Beginning at verse 1. we come now to the next woe that is given to Jerusalem the next point of judgment that God is bringing upon his people and we read woe to the rebellious children some translations say the obstinate children which are the stubborn uh, children but the word really lays more of the idea of Rebellion and rebelliousness. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt, and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hannes, They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them, or be help or benefit, but a shame and also a reproach. Now let me ask you a question this evening. When faced with a seemingly impossible situation that would prompt painful or even tragic results and consequences, to what or to whom would you turn? I hope you understand the question. When faced with a seemingly impossible situation that would prompt, that would bring about painful or even tragic results and consequences, to what or to whom? Would you turn? Now, knowing that the Lord is on your side should make the answer an obvious one. And I say that to those of you who believe and who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is usually the first thought that comes to mind. Well, the Lord is on our side. And if He's on our side, then of course we're going to trust in Him. And I've heard many a person quote the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God is for us... Who can be against us? We all know that verse, don't we? If God is for us, who can be against us? We can hear constantly of the importance of God being on our side in all, ma- in all matters pertaining to us. But it was Abraham Lincoln who once said this, and I think it would be wise for us to hear these words. Abraham Lincoln said, I am not concerned whether God is on my side or not, But I am concerned whether I am on God's side. I am concerned whether I'm on God's side. That's that's a good perspective to have. Because the question here tonight as we deal with Jerusalem in the time of Isaiah is, Was Judah on God's side? Was Judah on God's side? Here they were threatened by the Assyrian army under Sennacherib, knowing the invasion was imminent, knowing that God had encouraged the people to trust in Him, and yet there were some people who had a problem with that. There were people in Jerusalem who had a problem with trusting the Lord. These were influential people in King Hezekiah's court that wanted the nation of Judah to make a treaty with Egypt to have the Egyptians help them against this coming Assyrian invasion. Well, we, we, we know that Hezekiah was, was called a good king in the scriptures. We know that he, that he had a heart toward God. 2 Kings chapter 18, as a matter of fact, the very same chapter that will give us an indication of what takes place during this time. 2 Kings 18 verse 3 says that Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. So we know then that the heart of Hezekiah was right before God. At the very same time the northern kingdom of Israel of course would be conquered by Assyria and the people taken into exile this was happening this was going to come and they would then come against the southern kingdom of Judah of, of you know whom, whom Hezekiah served and because of this threat they looked to Egypt And if you're in 2 Kings chapter 18, if you look down at verses 19 through 21, just giving us a little bit of an indication, Sennacherib sends a representative of his, his chief of staff. This is the uh, Rabshakeh, who you see there in in verse uh, uh, 19. Uh, He's either the chief of staff or the governor of uh, of the Assyrians. But he's actually the spokesman for uh, King Sennacherib. And and it says that the Rabshakeh, the governor said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of, is- of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? Now some people have thought that he's, he's speaking this way to, the, to those of Judah in a mocking way. What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power of war, but they are, they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look. You are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So now a representative of the heathen nation is going to come and not only take uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and take them into captivity, but also try to come and attack the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, this this king sends his representative to tell them, hey, you're going to trust in this, in, in this reed, this broken reed that is Egypt. A reed that can't stand. If you try to lean on it, it's going to go right through your hand. It won't support you. And so in looking to Egypt, Judah forsook the Lord. Now again, you would have to think, well, now this is one of the mistakes that... Um, that hezekiah made and certainly we'll have to consider then that it it was to some some extent a a mistake that he made he was he was a good king you read through chapter 18 of of second kings and certain other places in the chronicles and all even later on in in in, uh, in isaiah chapter 36 we're going to we're going to run into more understanding of what was going on then but it was actually the advisors, his advisors, who continued to prompt him to, to take this, this course of going down the path of, 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 of trusting in another nation. In particular, the nation of Egypt. And the mistake that Judah made was to try to protect herself from the armies of Assyria through an alliance with Egypt. That was a tremendous mistake. Why? Well, first of all, it wasn't God's plan. This was not God's plan all along. And we have seen times where God has been speaking to Jerusalem through the prophet Isaiah to say to them, you need to trust in God. You need to trust in me. And even King Ahaz, who who was the the king earlier on that uh, was, was being spoken to in that way, he didn't trust the Lord. So more and more this, this, this weight of judgment was starting to build up. The woes were starting to build up against, against Judah. And so we have this statement made, this, this fourth woe given to the children of Israel. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me. And who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who walked to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Consider this, if you will. God had liberated them from Egypt in the first place. Do you all remember that? We all have read that story where, you know, the the children of Israel had been in bondage over 400 years in Egypt. And God delivered them from their bondage into slavery in Egypt. Took them out. Even at one point in time told them, I want you to go back to Egypt. Do not go back to Egypt. And I'll, I'll show you that in just a moment. But think, God had liberated them from Egypt in the first place. And then think about this. Judah is going to go back to the old slave master? To ensure her freedom? A little crazy, isn't it? It is significant to understand the term and who devised plans. That's in our text there in verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children who take counsel but not of me and who devise plans but not of my spirit. It's important to understand this term, who devised plans. Most modern translations will refer to this as making an alliance. Some of you have that in your text there. In your Bibles, nobody has that Bible? Okay, wow. Well, I must have picked a bunch of other ones to read. Most modern translations will have either alliance, but not of God's Spirit. That's one way of looking at it. But the word for alliance here is, a, is better translated protective covering. So think about this. Who take counsel, but not of me, and who want this protective covering, but not of my Spirit. They're devising a protective covering, but not of His Spirit. The word for alliance then here is is very important. And the King James Version, if you have the King James Version, actually has a better uh, translation of that word because it is translated this way. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and and that cover with a covering, but not of my Spirit, that they may add sin to sin. So they don't want God to be their covering, I mean, you know, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, "Lord God, cover me." Put yourself. I mean, we we just put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scriptures are very clear that we, when we come to Christ, we are to put on Christ. He's our covering now. He's our armor. He's our clothes. He's everything. You know, he's the he's what we clothe ourselves in because he's the he, he's the, he's our very righteousness. So we cover ourselves with Jesus Christ. In one sense, we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. He's, he's forgiven us. He's cleansed us. <laughs> so many coverings that God you know, puts on us. But here, these people are trying to put a covering on that's not God. And they're supposed to be God's people. You understand now the problem. You understand what's being attacked here. What's, what's com- what God is coming against. And then it says that they may add sin to sin. And so adding sin upon sin was first of all, first of all, number one, acting without divine prompting. They were acting without the prompting of God. God says, you're rebellious, you take counsel, but not of me. You devise plans, but not of my spirit. You cover with a covering, but it's not from my spirit. So first of all, they they, they act without a divine prompting from God. And secondly, they seek a covering other than the spirit of God. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, you know, that that doesn't sound right to us. You want to seek a covering other than the Spirit of God? That means then that uh, there's something wrong here with the heart. And there was something wrong with the heart of these people to want a covering other than the Spirit of God. And it's interesting that the Lord had warned His people centuries earlier against returning to Egypt. I told you we were going to look at it. Deuteronomy 17. And look at verses 14 through 16 here. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 16. He says to them, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the, king, or, I'm sorry, all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but notice verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. Now, this is important because this is what they did with Egypt. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, You shall not return that way again. Now what is Egypt? Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is a type of sin. And and the Lord says you're not to go back into that. You're not to go back into the world. You're not to go back into sin. You are to trust in me and not to trust in the multiplication of horses thinking that all the horses that you got are what? Your power. That's not your power. I'm your power. How quick are we in times of stress to depend upon some human means instead of relying upon the living God? How quick we are to try to trust in the way, in human measures or human uh, uh, ways rather than to trust in the living God? On Sunday I mentioned the, James chapter 1 verse 4 but let patience have its perfect work. Let God keep working in you through the things you're going through. God is going to give you the answer. God is going to give you the blessing. God is going to give you what you need and what you certainly need. He knows about already but why don't we wait for Him? We're trusting too much on human means. This was, this was uh, Judah's problem. It was Judah's sin. Look at verses 3-5. through 5. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hunnis. They were all ashamed of a people who could not benefit them. Or be help or benefit, but a shame and also reproach. Now this 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 mentions two areas, Zoan and and, and uh, Zoan was in the northern part of Egypt. Hannah is actually in the in, more toward the middle and the southern part. But these were these were trips that Judah was actually making to try to acquire these alliances. This is what we need to understand, and what God is saying to them is this: the strength of Pharaoh is going to be your shame. The shadow of Egypt is going to be your humiliation. The shadow of Egypt, that's a great statement. Because, you know, what power does a shadow have, anybody? Can you answer that? (laughs) Real easy, it has none. (laughs) A shadow has no power. So from God's perspective, Egypt and Pharaoh's strength was nothing. Nothing. Twice we see mentioned, verses 2 and 3, their trust in the shadow of Egypt, which of course refers to the fact that there was no substance whatsoever in Egypt to help Judah. All of us, you know, I know it's not, uh, it's not we're not even close to Thanksgiving. I know we're not. Okay? But man, i tell you what, you know, I think there's a reason for that. It, we need a whole year... To be able to really desire that big, huge turkey sitting on the table, with all the fixings, man, with the stuffing and the and the cranberry and the bread and the, you know just the breading and the so, well everything, just like oh, you know, your mouth is watering. Am I making anybody hungry? Or anybody want to go turkey sandwich? We'll go get one. But you know the thing about it is, when you go sit at your house on Thanksgiving Day, and and mom has made this, you know, the humongous, you know, forty five pound turkey, and and she brings it in, and she doesn't. You know what she doesn't do? She doesn't go to the window and open the window and put the turkey on the windowsill so that the sun could hit it and let the sun hit the turkey and let the turkey cast a shadow on the table and let's all sit and look at the shadow. Are you kidding me? With the running up to that windowsill just pulling that stuff off, you know. That shadow's nothing. There's no substance there. You want the bird on the table. God is saying there's no substance whatsoever in Egypt to help Judah. There's no substance, by the way folks, there's no substance in the world to help a believer in Jesus Christ. There is no substance in the world for, to help believers in Jesus Christ. Keith Green years and years ago sang a song. Do you want to go back to Egypt? Or you know, it was, so you want to go back to Egypt? You're thinking where well, you're warm and secure? So you can have manna patties, manna hotcakes, manna, manna burgers. You want the, the leeks and the onions because they, they taste so great. Selective memory, that's what they had. Remember they were going through the wilderness? Oh, if we would just go back to Egypt, we could have the onions and leeks and the, oh, 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 you know. God was saying, hey, selective memory. Don't you remember forty four hundred thirty years you were in slavery in bondage? And that's what you want. So what could a shadow do against the mighty Assyrian army? That's what God is saying. What could a shadow do against this mighty Assyrian army? And then to add insult to injury, the Egyptian emissaries who met Judah's ambassadors, who had traveled to Zoan and Hanas in Egypt, saw that Judah had nothing. First of all, it's, it's actually looking from both, both directions. The, the Egyptians saw that they had nothing to offer them, nothing to give them for their help. So what a shame and humiliation that was. Listen, these guys have nothing. We don't have to help them. They didn't bring us anything of value. On the other hand, they were coming over here looking at them and with that attitude, the, Jew, the, the people from Judah were looking and saying, these guys have nothing to benefit us. You see, that's what the world can offer us. Nothing. Because Judah would be ashamed of Egypt for the very same reason. What do they have that's of any value to us? When it comes right down to it. So in the next passage now, Isaiah utters a burden toward the caravan that was traveling from Jerusalem to Egypt with treasures to buy that protection against Assyria. So now he even talks about the animals. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 30. It says, The burden against the beasts of the south. Through a land of trouble and anguish from which came the lioness and lion, the viper and the fiery flying serpent, they will carry the riches on, their back, on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore I have called her Rahav Chemshebet. Interesting. Seeing the burdened animals making their way through that difficult and dangerous desert terrain... He cries that it is all to no profit it is useless Have you ever thought of yourself when you take your eyes off of God and decide that you're going to try to do things your own way or the world's way and then you still are doing those things and then you realize man this is this is getting to be kind of pointless here Maybe there's a little bit of you know maybe a little bit of progress but not very much you take one step forward and you take two steps back What is God telling you It's better to trust in me you're putting all these burdens on these poor animals. They didn't have nothing to do with it, but it's going to be to, the, to no profit at all. You've wasted the strength of these animals. And then he gives Egypt a name. And Egypt in Scripture has also been called Rahab or Rahab, as it were. But it, Egypt has been given this name before. Rahab, by the way, means strength. And so Rahab, Chem, Shabet, means strength that is sitting idle. Strength that is doing nothing. Strength that is doing nothing. Strength that sits around doing nothing. Help from Egypt would be non-existent. But if that wasn't bad enough, that Judah rebelled against the Lord by trusting in Egypt instead of trusting in God, Yahweh, and depending on money rather than in God's power, they went even further by completely rejecting God's Word. Look at verse 8. Now go... Write it before them on a tablet. God is telling Isaiah, Write this and note it on a scroll, that it may be for time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, Do not see. And to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us right things, doesn't that sound weird? That the children of, 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 of Israel or the children of Judah in this particular case are saying, don't prophesy to us right things. That's like they're saying, give us all the wrong things. That's what we want to hear. Now think about what I'm saying here. Don't give us the right things, give us all the wrong things. Now you, you think, that sounds ridiculous. It is. But notice what, what they're saying. They say, don't prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Man, that is a heavy duty statement. Cause the Holy One of Israel. You know who that is? The Holy One of Israel is God Almighty to cease from before us. They are rejecting God's Word and God Himself. But you know what they weren't rejecting? They weren't rejecting religion. They weren't rejecting religion. They wanted religion, but they didn't want the living God of heaven to be real in their lives. Speak to us smooth things. Does that sound like today? I think it sounds a whole lot like today. Where a lot of people say, listen, I don't want to hear all that stuff about sin. I don't want to hear about hell. I don't want to hear about poverty. I don't want to hear about um, humility. I mean, give me the stuff that makes me feel good. Sorry, I'm a James Brown fan. Make me feel good. The Lord wanted the rejection of his message and messengers to be documented. So he had Isaiah make a sign, a placard. It was kind of like those guys, you know, a long time ago, used to wear those sandwich boards. And he was to take this message all around Jerusalem. And make that sign to go around and say, this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Can you imagine Isaiah walking around Jerusalem with this sign, receiving the jeers from the majority of the people who no longer wanted to hear God's words, but wanted pleasant words from false prophets? Does this not sound like today? Pleasant words from false prophets? Now, I don't want to come down on... On, on things like, you know, sometimes you get in, in Christian bookstores these nice little books with promises and all the promises in, that, in those nice books. And, they're you know, they're from Scripture, but they're all nice and sweet and, and stuff. But, but they're, they're just to kind of encourage you, you know. And that's okay. I mean, God's Word is supposed to encourage us. But Paul did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God because that is the greatest encouragement, to know God's full Word. Because we need God's full word. There are some, there are some types of teaching going around today and, and they've been around for a long time. Just focus on what God wants to give you. What God wants to give you. And they'll never touch upon the scriptures that talk about the service that we are to give to the Lord, the wholehearted service that we are to give to God, the the persecutions that we will face, that we will face because we are believers in Jesus Christ today. Don't want to hear those things because they're not pleasant words. But Paul said, you know, this light, momentary affliction—he called it just light, momentary affliction—can't compare to the glory. And when we hold on to this and stay steadfast to the wondrous things of God, what what a glory that's going to be to be in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ because we've held on to the truth of God. The things we're going on, the things that are attacking us here, the things we're going through here, is light, momentary affliction, he says. Even in in Jeremiah, Jeremiah had to deal with this too. Jeremiah 6, verses 13 through 15. He said, Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the herd of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. You see, they were treating the nation's sins lightly. That's what it meant by saying that they healed the hurt of my people slightly. They were just treating the nation's sins lightly. Then they said, oh, no, no, peace, peace. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That is not only something that happened in Paul's time, it is something that is happening today. According to their own desires. I don't want to hear all that stuff they teach over here, but I want to hear this, because this, this is really what's encouraging me. But I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the words of the psalmist who said, "But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, that will not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That encourages me. It encourages me to know that God is saying to us, My grace is sufficient for you. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But these in in Israel, in in, in the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they were treating the sins lightly, and so they didn't want sermons that would disturb their comfortable way of life. But the Lord will now make it clear through the prophet Isaiah the judgment to come upon Judah for their trust in Egypt and their rejection of God's message. Look at verses 12 through 14 now, Isaiah 30. Therefore thus says the Holy One of Israel. See, this is great because the verse before they said, Oh, listen, cause the Holy One to cease from before us. But now it says the Holy One of Israel says. So the the very one that they want to seize speaks up. Thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word, and trust in oppression and perversity, and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and he shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare. So there shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. In other words, their desire, or I should say, their decisions, had great consequences. Their wall of protection would suddenly collapse like a clay pot shattered into pieces. And when Assyria did invade the southern kingdom, Egypt lived up to its nickname by doing nothing. And it wasn't until the last minute, the very last minute, that the Lord stepped in to rescue His people. In honor of his covenant with David. So, the southern kingdom was attacked. Many things happened to the southern kingdom until they uh, until they reached Jerusalem. And in Isaiah 37, and we've read this before, I'm adding one verse though, verse 35. In verse 35 and verse 36 it says that God is saying, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. But then he says, The angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians one hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when people arose early in the morning, they, there were the corpses all dead. You see, the very last minute, God, in honor of His covenant with David, rescued His people. But they weren't without consequences. They marched right through Judah until they reached Jerusalem. And so there was nonetheless a tremendous humiliation that the Jews had to endure. They weren't able to flee on the horses they had from Egypt. And one enemy soldier would cause a thousand Jews to flee, and that was their humiliation. Look at the next verses, verses 15 through 17. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. Folks, listen to what God is saying here. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. That was a matter of the will. The word would there is a matter of the will. It wasn't that they could not, that's a matter of ability. You all remember the old thing that teachers used to say when we were in school. Teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And she w- she or he would say, No, you are not to ask, can I go? I know that you can. You are to ask, may I go? So, the middle, uh, you know, ability uh, versus permission. In this case, it's ability versus will. And he says, If you were to return and rest, you would be saved. Quietness, confidence shall be your strength. But you did not want it. You will not. You would not. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. We've got the horses from Egypt. Therefore, you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. (laughs) One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee. So you are left as a pole on top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. What is described here is a reversal of a promise made in Leviticus chapter 26 and a fulfillment of a curse found in the same chapter. The promise was in verse 8 of Leviticus 26. When he says to Israel, see the reverse is coming. Uh, is he says, five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. That is if they were doing what? Trusting the Lord. But then down in verse 17... It's reversed because here's the curse if they don't do that, if they don't trust in the Lord. He says, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. So what God says here in Isaiah is one enemy soldier would chase a thousand of you because they had not rested and they had not returned and trusted in the strength who was their God. And how sad that they refused to receive the beautiful message of verse 15. Oh, in returning and rest you shall be saved. They refused to receive that message. How many times does the Lord have to tell us that He will be our strength and our salvation as long as we repent, as long as we return, and as long as we rest only in Him? How many times? And still, and still, and still, and still, and still, consider at this point that the Lord turns from the topic of rebellion to the subject of restoration. Still. While He's trying to get them to see that they have rejected Him, still He turns to them and says, In verse 18, Therefore, the Lord will wait that He may be gracious to you. Folks, don't miss this. This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible that I have ever found. That I have ever been able to see that I think, you know, from the personal sense to say, you know, What a great God we have. From personal experience to the experience that the church needs to realize and the people of God need to realize. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Are we waiting for him? Let patience have its perfect work. Are you waiting? For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Oh, for how many years did Israel have the bread of, of adversity and the water of affliction. And yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. And by the way, that literally is talking about a teacher. And that teacher is God himself. And more specifically, it is Christ. Verse 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, when you hear that voice, it's God saying, Come this way. He's our teacher, you see. What a wonderful promise is given in verse 18. We, we can sometimes get so affixed on the thought of our own patience or lack thereof, Right? I talked about that on sunday always wanting patience oh god give me patience oh lord give me patience i'm gonna pray for patience i have to pray for patience. for lord give me patience give it to me now because i'm not patient so i need patience now well do that and and, and and so so we're so affixed you know on the thought of our own patience or lack thereof and we never consider god's patience toward us Have you ever wondered how patient God is with you? Have you ever just thought, Lord God, how can you be so patient with such an idiot like me? I've never liked the fact that, you know, some people have have not liked, you know, this one word in, 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 in Amazing Grace. So they changed the word. Like they want to change the words in Scripture, you know. They changed this word in Amazing Grace. We know the song, don't we? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, but we're not wretches anymore, so let's change that to save someone like me. Oh no, you're still a wretch. You're still a wretch. Yes, think about what you did that you shouldn't have done. That's a wretch. So that's singing truth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Why do we change things? Oh we not. you know we have to think positive, brother. Well yeah, I'm positively a wretch, man. I mean, come on, let's let's get straight here. You see what the Lord is telling his people here? Is that even when we don't wait for him, He waits for us. Wow. God is patient toward us and is waiting to give us an opportunity to repent, to return, and to rest. We often wonder why the Lord waits to do things in our lives. Have you ever wondered about that? Why does the Lord wait to do things in our lives? Lord, do do something now. God waits we wonder, why, Lord, are you waiting? But Isaiah tells us clearly why. So that God may be gracious to us. You see, if we got everything when we wanted it, it would just be God acting on, on, our, on our being such, such spoiled children. And you know, when we spoil children, Eventually the things we give them become spoiled and there's no grace behind it. God waits to give us what we need when we need it and when we need it we get it and when we get it, it's grace. There's always a loving purpose behind the Lord's delays. Always remember that. There's always a purpose behind God's delays and we can trust that even when we don't fully understand He's he's still going to act when He wants to act because He knows when to give us grace. Peter understood this when he said in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but His long suffering toward us he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He waits, you see. God waits for us to cry out to Him for help. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 145, verses 17-20, through 20, The Lord is righteous in all His ways, gracious in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear the cry and save them, or their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. The wicked being those who don't trust Him at all. Those who reject Him. but Those who fear Him. He will hear them. And He'll be gracious to them. This reminds us that the Lord seems closest when the situations in our lives are the hardest. That's when the Lord really comes close. That's when we keep thinking, Where are you, Lord? Right here. Oh, See, we only think that he's close to us when we're happy when we're, when we're happy and, and things are happening for us you know and we're just kind of oh thank Lord thank you oh Lord what a wonderful thing Lord oh I just thank you Jesus it's 86 degrees today oh man I was just out there you know oh Lord you're so close to me you know and all this goodness yeah you know, and we think you know nothing's happening as soon as adversity hits what's the first thing we say oh God where are you right and he says I'm near to you now Why are you yelling? You don't have to yell. I come closer when things get hotter for you. I'm not deaf, you know. Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. You see, this is a holy God, but this is what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place. Of course he does, because he's God. But then he says, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That God dwells with those who humble themselves. Remember, he says, He who humbles himself, I will exalt in due season. So in our in our greatest times of trial, God's there to pick us up. He's closer when things are hardest in our lives. Our text here also speaks of millennial blessings, the, the far fulfillment as it were, when after all the centuries of the sufferings of Israel and, Ju- and Judah, they shall return to the Lord and find him in, uh, in Him the forgiveness which He was already to impart upon the contrite and the repentant heart. He will bring them into everlasting blessedness. They will find in their Messiah an all-sufficient Savior, and they will no longer be led astray by the wisdom of man or by the false securities of man, but they will be led by the Lord Himself. He will be to them their teacher who will direct them with His own voice, saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. This is the way. Then in verses 22 through 26, it says, "You will also defile the covering of your graven images of silver." This is a tremendous little picture he gives us here, because you know when they were when they were uh, worshiping idols, they were defiling the, the true God, who wasn't an image or a, or a wooden thing or a you know metal thing. I mean, God is God, God is spirit, you know. And so, so he says, "You will also defile the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing." You will say to them, Get away! And then He will give the rain for your seed which, with which you sow the ground and bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful. In that day your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat cured fodder. <laughs> in other words, not that stuff that, you know, making all those dogs sick. I mean, they were getting good stuff. See, Which has been winnowed with a shovel and fan. There will be on every high mountain and on every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. We're we're getting a millennial picture here. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun and the light of the sun will be sevenfold. You look at the book of Revelation it says there's a time coming when things are going to be so different than what we know them to be. You look at the moon it's just going to be like the sun. You look at the sun and it's like nothing you've ever seen. Eventually in heaven, of course, there's going to be one light and that light is is from the throne of God. And there will be no need for, for night because the light of God's throne will shine so brightly. But then it says the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. The people will also be blessed with a desire to be pure. You see, you'll defile the covering of your graven images. One way in which they would show this would be in coming to hate their idols so much that they would toss them away as they would a used menstrual cloth. That is literally what it says there. That phrase in the New King James, unclean thing. Even in some modern translations use that term, menstrual cloth. They will toss those idols away as an unclean thing. And then would come the promises of the Lord to bless His people's possessions with abundance. What great benefits come when God's people put away the idols that had kept them from loving and serving Him. But even better than all the material blessings that the Lord extends to us is His loving care and His compassion when He says in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of His people and heals the stroke of their wound. How often they had eaten the bread of adversity and drunk the water. You know, those waters that we had seen mentioned earlier on. Those waters, you know, the bread of adversity and, and, and the waters of affliction. How often they had gone through these things. And God says, I'm going to heal these things. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when He came to, to this earth and began to preach in, in a synagogue one day, and He quoted from Isaiah, talking about healing the brokenhearted. It was the Lord that will come to do this. Something interesting. Eliphaz, the friend, one of the friends of Job, who actually gets... You know, judged by God for saying some of the things that he said. Nonetheless said this in Job chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 to Job, which, which, which rings true in this, in this particular sense, a spiritual sense. It says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. I mean, we see that in Hebrews 12 as well, don't we? But then it says, For he bruises, but he binds up. He bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole." But in Psalm, 40, uh, Psalm 147, verses 1 through 3, listen to what the psalmist says. He says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. And notice, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What a wonderful God we have who heals the brokenhearted. And who binds up our wounds. Not only would Judah be redeemed. But Assyria would face its destruction. See again. We're we're seeing something that's moving us into chapter 31. Chapter 31 of Isaiah. When we get there. Boy I mean you you have to continue to keep these thoughts in mind. But notice in verse 27. Behold the name of the Lord comes from afar. Burning with his anger. And his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaw of the people causing them to err. You shall have a song as in the night when the holy festival is kept. And gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. The Lord will cause His glorious voice to be heard and show the descent of His arm with the indignation of His anger and the flame of a devouring fire with scattering tempest and hailstones. For through the voice of the Lord Assyria will be beaten down as He strikes with the rod. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him, it will be with tambourines and harps. And in battles of brandishing he will fight with it. For Tophet was established of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. Its pyre is fire with much wood. The breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone kindles it. What does all that mean? (laughs) Well, Isaiah's final theme in this woe is that of retribution. For we are given here the announcement that the Assyrians will be defeated by God Himself. And while the Lord had used Assyria to correct Judah, He would not permit them to take Jerusalem. The images given of God's judgment on Assyria are quite interesting. A storm of fire and hail, a flood, a sifting of grain, the the harnessing of a horse so that the enemy is led away like a farm animal. That was the picture. We read back in Isaiah 14 how Sheol was prepared for the king of Babylon. Isaiah 14.9 says, Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. It was created for Babylon. Sheol, as it, as it says there in Isaiah 14, prepared for the king of Babylon. And so Tophet would be prepared for the king of Assyria. Now, Tophet was a location outside of of Israel where the worshippers of Molech sacrificed their children. We read that actually in in the in the Kings, in the history of the Kings. It was defiled by uh, by uh, Josiah. In other words, Tophet was defiled by Josiah, which was a good king who went in, turned it into a garbage dump, and he named it Gehenna. And it literally means the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. Gehenna, which actually became the New Testament word for hell. Gehenna, the king of Assyria's funeral pyre. When it talks about the pyre there at the end, its pyre is fire with much wood. The funeral pyre, of course, would be that that uh, you know particular place where the, where the body is, is laid. That uh, pyre would be a garbage would be on a garbage dump. And so the, the table of humiliation was turned. Remember how the the, 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 the people of Judah were humiliated by their, by their alliance with, with Egypt? But those who have come to attack them, God is going to judge them. And now their humiliation is that the king of Assyria, who they lifted up in such high esteem, was now in his funeral pyre in a garbage dump. That's pretty humiliating. So can Assyria ever be compared to the God of Israel? No way, you see. The God of Israel is is and forever will be the Lord over all nations. How can Assyria ever compare? God's people will be safe in His day. The day of the Lord, they will be safe. Their part is to sing in the midst of the judgments of God, as we saw. The song in the night, as it mentions. Much like the song in the night that was sung in the Israelites rejoicing in Passover and sung again by Jesus and his disciples before he went to the cross. You remember right before he goes to the cross, Matthew chapter 26 verse 30. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang a hymn. And more than likely, it was something very similar to what was sung in Exodus 15 verses 20 and 21. And then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. The song in the night was the song of Moses. The song in the night was the song of victory. It was the song of triumph. And Jesus sang that song before He goes to the cross because He knew that if He does not go to the cross there is no victory and there is no triumph. On that day our victory our salvation was won when Jesus said it is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There will be no more war. It is finished. The end of all suffering. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Let's pray.